Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Before I begin this morning unpacking the text of Scripture, I want to share with you let me just give a, a word to you about the end of the service today. I know because of the way we've kind of trained you that, that this, this traffic thing is a little bit of a mess getting out of here. When the service ends, some of you, your aim is to be the first person to the car so you can get out of here. So sometimes you're tempted to slip out just a couple of minutes early to go beat the traffic. I'm just telling you, we got a video that we want to end the service with today that shares an exciting update that you are not going to want to miss. So fight the temptation <laughs> to slip out early. You're going to want to see this. You've been anticipating this. So we got an exciting thing right at the end today. So don't slip out early. You're going to regret it if you do. All right. With that, let's jump into God's word today. I want to put a word up here on the screen. And I want you to think about internally how you react when you see this word. Here it is. It's the word commandment. Commandment. How do you think, how do you feel when you hear the word commandment? If you look it up in the dictionary, the dictionary definition of the word commandment is a divine rule. That doesn't necessarily help with our warm, fuzzy feeling about the word commandment, right? Most of us, and often in society, when we think about the word commandment, what comes to mind is a negative connotation. You think about a commandment, that's somebody telling us what to do. And there's something about the way we are hardwired in our fallenness as human beings. We do not like anyone telling us what to do. So when there's this word commandment, we can have an issue with this word. We feel like it's somebody ordering us around commandment. For example, in the Bible, there are something called the ten commandments. And many people view the Ten Commandments negatively. They think the Ten Commandments are these ten divine rules that have been laid down on us, authoritative orders given by God that, are, that exist to rob us of pleasure, but you have to carry them out if you want God to accept you. Many people see the Ten Commandments and commandments throughout Scripture with this equation. Good behavior equals God's favor. If I obey the rules, then God is happy with me. If I don't obey the rules, then God is not happy with me. We see commandments, particularly these in Scripture, as things that we're given to somehow earn 
a right standing before God. But did you know nothing could be further from the truth when you see commandments in Scripture? Let me prove it to you. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 talks to us about what the Bible calls the law. The law is a phrase, a word, a term that's used really to describe all the commandments in the Old Testament, but particularly the big ten, the ten commandments. Notice what the Bible says here in Hebrews about the law. The law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continuously year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Now, a lot of words in there. Let me simplify this for you by underlining three power phrases that everything else in this verse hangs on. You see the three? Let's read them together. For the law can never make perfect. Everything else in this verse hangs on those three phrases. The law can never make perfect. Here's what that means. The law was never given as the vehicle through which you and I could earn a right standing before God. God never gave us the law and said, if you'll just keep the law, then you'll be in good graces with me. The law can never make perfect. The law can never make us right with God. That's not why he gave us the law. Then why did God give us the law? God gave us the law to reveal his righteousness and his holiness. And when you and I look into the mirror of the law, you know what we realize about ourselves? We fall short of the righteous standard of God. And we look at the law and go, I've already blown it. I've already messed up. If keeping the law is the requirement to earn God's favor, then I don't have a shot at ever being in the gracious favor of God because I have not in the past, I have not today, and I won't in the future perfectly fulfill the law of God. So when I look into the law, I see, here's what I see, I see my need for a Savior. The law was given not as a means by which I earn a right standing before God. The law was given to point us, number one, to our need for a Savior and to show us the glory of Jesus who came to do for us what we could not do on our own, which is make ourselves right with God. So the law points us to Jesus. But then there's a second reason why God gave the law. The law protects us. God gave us commands in Scripture in order to protect us as we live. Let me give you this one in a statement I want to put up here on the screen, and I want you to read it out loud with me. You ready? One, two, three. God's commands are not given for us to earn eternal life. Stop right there. That's what we just said, right? The law can never make perfect. The law points us to our need for a Savior, Jesus. So let's let's just start over at the beginning. God's commands are not given for us to earn eternal life. His commands are given so that we can enjoy the eternal life we've been given. Every time in the Bible God says, don't, 
He's not saying, I want to rob you of all the joy and pleasure if you do this. Just because I'm a mean old taskmaster, I'm going to tell you, don't you do that and watch you suffer. That's not what God is saying. When God says don't, you know what he's saying? Don't hurt yourself. God created life. God knows how it's to be lived. And when God says don't do something, he did that to protect the joy of living for us. When God says do this, you know what he's saying? Help yourself. Let me try to help you understand it with an illustration I've shared before a number of years ago. But it helps to really grasp this reality. When I, was, when I first moved here to Las Vegas, we began to meet with a real estate agent. We had three young children at the time. We now have four kids. But we, we had three kids at the time. They were seven, five, and three. And the real estate agent said, you probably want to try, if you can, to live in a cul-de-sac. I'm from Alabama. I didn't even know what a cul-de-sac was. We didn't have those. We didn't, we didn't have those in our neighborhoods and community. We had rural country roads. We didn't have cul-de-sacs. So I didn't know what he was talking about. But as he began to explain it, he explained that, hey, kids here, they, they don't have big yards. They don't have big places to play. So kids wind up playing in the street. And a cul-de-sac gives them an opportunity to play safely in the street. So, so we wound up buying a house in a cul-de-sac and became a Las Vegan. I bought a cul-de-sac. And we had our kids. And I took our little kids when they were young. I walked them down the cul-de-sac to a point in the cul-de-sac. And I drew an imaginary line across the cul-de-sac. And I told our children, on this side of that line... You can play all you want to play. You can get your buddies. You can get your friends. You can get your riding toys. You can get your bikes. You can get your chalk. You can get your basketball. You can play all you want to play on this side of that line. But don't you dare go on the other side of that line. Now, why did I tell my kids that? Did I tell my kids that because I wanted to rob them of all the joy and pleasure of playing out in the traffic? No, I told my kids that because I love them. I gave them a boundary that allowed them to live the best they could possibly live, enjoying life without experiencing the danger that was on the other side of that line. God has done the exact same thing with us. God gave us his law to point us to Jesus, but God gave us boundaries. God gave us commands in Scripture to allow us to enjoy life. And that's exactly what the Bible tells us. Proverbs is the, the teaching of Solomon. Solomon is recorded as being the wisest man who ever lived. Listen what Solomon in all his wisdom said about God's commands in Proverbs chapter 7. Look at it. He said, my son, keep my words and treasure my, say the word out loud, commandments. There it is, within you. Keep my, say it again, commandments. And what? We think it says suffer. <laughs> Experience hardship. No, keep my commandments. And what? Live. What? Live. Live. It comes from a Hebrew word that means breathing. It's this idea you could literally translate it, keep my commandments and enjoy life to the fullest. God didn't give us commands in Scripture to rob us. God gave us commands in Scripture to bless us so that we could experience life as he intended it to be lived. If that makes sense, say amen. 
Okay, you say, Pastor, why are we talking so much about commandments today? Commands in Scripture. Well, here's why. If you're visiting with us, we're studying through the book of Ephesians. Today, we come to Ephesians chapter 5. If you got your Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 5. We're in a series called Walk This Way. Paul is teaching us the first half of Ephesians, who we are in Christ, but now he's teaching us how we live, the way we walk as followers of Christ. Today, we begin chapter 5. The first 20 verses of Ephesians chapter 5 contain 15 commands. Did you hear that? The first 20 verses of Ephesians chapter 5 contain 15 commands, meaning this. What we're going to be unpacking over the next several weekends are not things you need to pray about. These are not suggestions that Paul is laying on the table for our consideration. We don't need to take these home and go, Lord, is it your will for me to follow this teaching? No, these are commands. Where in this text of Scripture God says don't, here's what he's saying. Don't hurt yourself. It's going to bring destruction. It's going to bring damage. It's going to bring harm. It's going to bring pain. It's going to bring consequences in this text of Scripture where God says do what he's saying is enjoy life. Live life the way I intended it. Avoid the hardship of stepping across those boundaries. Fifteen commands. Today, we're going to look at one. It's chapter 5, verse 1. And the reason we wanted to start with just one is all the other 14 are really encompassed in the banner of the first one. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. It's not a suggestion. It's not an aspiration. It's an imperative, meaning it's a command. Be imitators of God. So I want to ask and answer three questions, and we're going to be done with this this morning. Number one, what are we being commanded to do? What are we being commanded to do? Well, let's begin with the first word in this verse. What's the first word? Ah, see, I tricked you a little bit because you're right. In the English translation, that is the first word. And we've spent so much time here at Hope teaching about this word, therefore, because the word therefore always connects to what's just been said and moves us into a new conversation. So this word therefore is reaching back to what Paul just said at the end of chapter 4, where he was talking about us not grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And to not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, we can't try to live out this thing called Christianity in our own strength, but we need to allow the Holy Spirit of God who's in us to live through us. And anytime we try to do it in our own strength, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. But Paul is now transitioning to say, based on the fact that the Spirit of God lives in you, we're going to come back to that in just a minute. He says, therefore, what's the second word in English? 
be. In the Greek language, the way they do sentence structure, word order is very important. In a Greek sentence, which is what the New Testament was originally written in, the Greek language, the order of the words communicates the order of importance. So the first word in the Greek sentence is this word, be. The command is about being. A.T. Robertson says you could literally translate it, keep on becoming. It's an imperative that is describing a continuous way of life. Paul is giving us a command that applies to the way we live our lives. But I want you to know something. This is not a command simply dealing with how we act in parts of our life. This command that Paul is giving us is not just something we live out at church. It's not just something that we live out when we're around other Christians. It's not just something that we live out when we're in our small group with other believers. This command is also not just dealing with parts of our day. This is not a command that's to be lived out just in our God time, our our time alone with God in the morning. Or in the evening. It's not a time that's just to be lived out when we pray over our food or pray during the day. Or it's not simply a time that's to be lived out at bedtime. This is not simply a command that's to be carried out in an attitude at certain times or in certain situations. This command that Paul is giving us is to be. Here's what that means. What he's commanding us affects our lives 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Meaning, there is never a second in my life that is to be lived apart from submission to this command. Well, what is this command that's supposed to be lived out all the time? What does it say? Be what? Imitators of what? 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days of the year? In every circumstance, in every situation, in every relationship, my life is to be an imitator of God. The word imitate is a Greek word that comes from a word that we get our English word mimic from. It's the idea of following a model. Listen to what some writers say about this phrase. James Boyce, one of the great commentators on this passage, says this. This phrase is one of the most startling admonitions in the entire New Testament. William Barclay, a Greek scholar, said this phrase is the highest standard in the world. Be an imitator of God. Now, if you're like me, when I I, I was studying this and reading over this, the thoughts that came to my mind were, wait a minute, there's some stuff God does I can't do. Uh, In the beginning, God created. I I can't do that. 
creation of the world seems outside of my ability to be able to, to live out. I can't follow that model. God is the one who saves us. That, that's something that I cannot do. God is the one who heals people when they're sick. God is the one who sustains everything in the universe and holds it together. What is Paul talking about when he says we are to imitate God? Well, let me try to give it to you in a statement that I hope will bring some clarity. What does it mean to imitate God? Here's the statement. To allow the reality of who God is and how he relates to us to dominate every aspect of my life. Who God is and how he relates to me should be the way I live in relationship to others 24 hours a day 7 days a week 365 days a year think about it God's love God's holiness God's faithfulness God's purity his wisdom, his trustworthiness, his kindness. Those qualities that we see revealed in the person of Jesus and demonstrated towards us through him should be the aim of our lives every moment of every day. See, here's the mistake we make. We start out on this journey of Christianity thinking, okay, I'm going I'm to live this thing called Christianity, and we pick somebody. Maybe it's the person that discipled us. Maybe it's our small group leader. Maybe it's a Bible teacher that we know. Maybe it's a pastor that we've put on a pedestal, and we kind of say, you know what? I'm going I'm to try to be as good a Christian as they are. And that becomes our standard. That becomes our model. And we begin to try to, try to follow them as, as the example of what we're trying to be as a Christian. But I'm telling you, Paul here shatters that and says the standard is not another Christian. Because sometimes we can, we can have another Christian and we kind of go, yeah, I'm not as good as him, but I'm, I'm not too bad. I'm not too far off. But Paul says here, the standard is not even the best Christian you know. The standard for your life all the time is God himself. Let me give you a couple realities as we reflect on this. Because I can can tell by your response, you're hearing it and reading it like I did. It's kind of heavy, right? Two realities. Number one, this is impossible through my strength. I mean, we might put another Christian up as our standard and we might think maybe I can do this. But if the standard is 24 7, 365, God, here's what we realize I can't do that. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. (laughs) That's a real good place to say amen. Because if you don't, the person that knows you sitting next to you, they're going to say amen for you. (laughs) He can't do this. But listen, 
That was never the plan. It was never God's design for you to try to live this out in your own strength. Let me show it to you. Psalm chapter 103. I hope this helps you and gives you freedom like it does me. Psalm 103 verse 13. The scripture says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but what? <laughs> God knows what he's dealing with. We are, if I had a little pile of dust sitting up here on my, what would be your expectation of that pile of dust? Probably not very high, right? If I said that pile of dust is going to preach for us today, your expectation level would probably go down significantly, right? Why? Because a pile of dust, we don't have much expectation out of a pile of dust. God knows we're made from dust. It was never his design to save us through the finished work of Jesus on the cross and then allow us to try to live this thing. Okay, I'm God. Now you go just mimic me. You go follow my example. Do the best you can. That was never his intention. It is impossible for you and I to live out this command in our own strength. But get this. It's only possible through his strength in me go back to the therefore what was the therefore in the verse it was going back to the fact that Paul had just said you now have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God you do know who the Holy Spirit is amen the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity it is God the Father it is God the Son and it is God the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the living God all that God is dwells in the person of the Holy Spirit and Paul said the person of the Holy Spirit has now come to live inside of you Here's what that means. You don't have some of God or part of God. All that God is now dwells in you in the person of the Holy Spirit of God. And Paul says, based on that, now I'm exhorting, I'm commanding you by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, working through you. To be an imitator of God. It's the same thing Paul was writing about to another group of Christians in a city called Galatia. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul gives another one of these command statements. Listen to what he said. He said, but I say to you, read this out loud. Walk by the Walk by the Spirit. That's an imperative. Walk by the Spirit. Live your life in dependence on the Spirit. Live your life, walk continuously, relying on the strength of the Holy Spirit. And what does he say? When you do that, what? You will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Here's what that means. When I'm living in dependence on the Holy Spirit of God, allowing Him through me to accomplish His work, it's always going to be a reflection of the character of who God is. But the opposite of that is also true. 
when I'm not moment by moment living in dependence on the Holy Spirit of God, let me tell you what it's going to look like. My flesh. And my flesh is not a pretty sight. It's wicked. It's ungodly. It's unrighteous. Look what he goes on to say. But the fruit of the Spirit, and notice this, this is important. It's not fruits. It's fruit. This is not a cafeteria line where you pick and choose. Well, I'm good on this, but I'm not good on that. I'm working on that. No, 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 no. Listen, none of this is ever going to be evident in us apart from the Holy Spirit of God. But when the Holy Spirit of God is manifesting the life of God through us, here's what it looks like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What is that? Stephen Olford says that these nine descriptors are a nine-dimensional configuration of the person of Jesus. You know what Jesus is? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control who's jesus god with skin on god in the flesh that's jesus here's what paul says when you and i are walking in dependence on the holy spirit of god moment by moment here's what's going to happen he's going to be manifesting the very life of god through us not in our strength his strength in us what's it going to look like love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness who is that it's just god it's men and women whose lives are marked by the character of god john MacArthur summed it up i thought very well listen what he said the whole of the christian life is the reproduction of godliness as seen in the person of christ the only way we can become imitators of God is for the Lord Jesus Christ to live his perfect life through us. We are totally dependent on his spirit to become like him. It's all him. That's why as you get down to the end of chapter, this this section of scripture, verse 18, these first 20 verses, Paul says this. He says, do not get drunk with wine. For that is dissipation, but be, what, filled with the Spirit. What's he saying here? He's saying the only dominating influence in your life should be the Holy Spirit of God. If I allow anything other than the Holy Spirit to be the dominating influence in my life, guess what? I lose the capacity to be able to be a reflection of the character of God to the people around me. The Spirit of God is the only way I can make this happen. That's what he's commanding us to do, to live in such dependence on the Holy Spirit of God that our lives become a reflection of his character. So then that leads to a second question. How do we do this? How are we to imitate God? Well, go back to the verse. I love this. Look what he said. Therefore, be imitators of God. Say the last part out loud. Notice what he didn't say. Be imitators of God as faithful servants. He didn't say, be imitators of God as obedient church members. He did not say, be imitators of God as dedicated or disciplined Christians. He said, be imitators of God as Beloved children. Here's the point. After giving the command, his focus 
is not on rules that need to be followed, but on a relationship that needs to be enjoyed. Be imitators of God. Okay, I'm going to try hard, try hard, try hard, try hard. No, that's not the way. Not as a dedicated Christian. As a beloved child. The word beloved. Oh, it's such a beautiful word in the Greek language. Let me tell you some of the, some of the words that, that, that theologians and scholars use to describe this word. Listen to this. The word beloved means dearly loved and cherished. Preferred above all others and treated with partiality. Highly valued, chosen. You know what that means? I don't have to be an imitator of God in order to earn a position in the family. I am an imitator of God because I already have a position in the family. Here's what that means. You are today as a follower of Jesus infinitely loved by God so loved by God listen to this you will never be more loved by God than you are right now you know why because he's loved you to the fullest God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son you are loved and accepted by the father in Jesus and there's nothing you have to do to earn that standing and Paul says because you're a beloved child be an imitator of God here's the point when you find a child who knows he or she is loved by their father here's what will happen they naturally begin to take on the characteristics of dad I want to show you a picture of my dad. Some of you know my dad. My dad's a preacher. I wanted you to see him in action this morning. <laughs> my dad's a preacher. I grew up under the preaching ministry of my dad. He is honestly, in my, my opinion, I know I'm biased, but in the last 100 years, I don't know a greater expositor of the Old and New Testament than my dad. Great preacher of God's Word. Now, my dad was not a perfect dad like any of us. He had his flaws, all of us as dads have our flaws. But here's one thing I always knew about my relationship to my dad. I was a loved son. I didn't have to earn that position in our family. I'd been born into that. And because I was born into that relationship, my father demonstrated love towards me. And guess what? Today, sometimes I hear myself preaching or I hear myself parenting or I'll see myself leading or I'll hear myself watching Alabama football on television. And in, in leading and in preaching and in parenting, I'll, I'll be, I'm, sometimes I'm over here preaching, I'm going, man, that sounded just like dad. You know why? Because as a loved son in the family, my life became a reflection of some of his characteristics and traits, and that was just an overflow of the relationship. Listen, I know we live in a broken world. I know that all children today don't have loving fathers. As a matter of fact, many of you in the room, maybe you had a father who was absent or even abusive. But I want you to know something today. As a follower of Jesus, you have a perfect father. And he infinitely loves you. And you do not have to perform for his love. You don't have to achieve 
for his love. You are accepted into his family because you've been born into that family. And you were born into that family through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And because of who we are in Christ, we are now loved children in the family. And here's what Paul's teaching us. As you and I pursue him daily in that relationship moment by moment, who he is and how he relates to others will be evident through our lives out of the overflow of the relationship. Let me give you a life application. My ability to imitate God in my daily life is born from my relational pursuit of God in my daily life. Here's what that means. Intimacy with God leads to imitation of God. Apart from intimacy with God, there'll be no imitation of God. It's born out of the relationship. That's why he said, be imitators of God as beloved children. If I look at my life and there are areas that are inconsistent with the character of God, here's what this means. That's not a commitment problem on my behalf. I just need to be more committed. I just need to try. No, it's a relationship problem. I just need to pursue my father more intimately. I need to understand more of who I am in him. And to the degree that I pursue him intimately, guess what happens? Imitation of God comes out in my life. Here's the last question. I'm done. What does it look like to be an imitator of God as a beloved child? Well, that's where we're going for the next four weekends. Throughout these 20 verses, Paul gives us 15 commands. We looked at one of them this morning. He's going to teach us things like walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. All of these are recorded for us in the rest of this chapter. But all of these commands are lived out as we live out this first command of intimately pursuing God and allowing who he is to be reflected in who we are as beloved children. So with that, let me give you a couple of questions I want you to wrestle with this morning as we close. Are you aiming at the right target? Is the character of God and how he relates to you the aim of your life, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and how you relate to others around you. You can tell what turned the world upside down? A group of Christians imitating God. At the store, the ball field, the neighborhood, the job, his holiness, his love, his faithfulness, his kindness just demonstrated through our lives. Are you aiming at the right target? The target's not being a good Christian. The target's God. And secondly, are you pursuing him relationally? If there's not an intimate pursuit of God daily, and see, that's why the enemy knows the deal. He knows that if he can just get you to not be intimate with the Father, he wins. Because this is impossible in our own strength. We can't do this on our own. We can't live this out. It's only Christ in us living through us out of the overflow of intimacy with God that we have a shot at this. Where are you right now in your intimate walk with Jesus daily? Have you let the enemy bring distraction, disinterest into your life to begin to spend less and less time with the Father? What's God saying to you today? Let's pray together this morning. Father, 
the name of Jesus, I pray that as only you can, you would speak to us in these moments. God, may your Holy Spirit bring conviction. May your Holy Spirit teach us. Lord, give us ears to hear what it is you want to say to us today. As you sit quietly before the Lord, just in a spirit of prayer, maybe you're here today and you've never been born again into the family of God. You don't know what it means to be a Christian, to be forgiven, to be loved and accepted by God. You don't know what it means that Jesus died on a cross and how that relates to you, that he rose again from the dead. But maybe you just sense today, we, we would know that to be the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Something is drawing you. I need Jesus. If that's you today, in just a few moments, we're going to stand and sing a song of worship. The whole story of the Bible is that God loves you and has set his heart on you, sent his son so that you could have a relationship with God. God longs to be in fellowship relationship with you. But if you don't know that, if you don't have a relationship with God today, today because of Jesus, you can have one. When we stand to sing in just a moment, if you'd like to begin a relationship with God through Jesus today, while we're singing, you just come to one of these pastors that are going to be here at the front. Here's all you got to say. Just say, I need Jesus. That's it. If you forget that, don't worry about it. Just stand here. We'll know why you've come. And we'll have somebody sit down and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with Jesus. Secondly, today, maybe you're here and you're already a Christian. But you've not had the right target. You've settled for something far less for your Christian experience than the life of God in and through you. Maybe you've allowed distraction. Or maybe it's just that you're just not feeling it and you've allowed that disinterest to cause you to drift in your time alone with God daily that you carve out to be intimate with Him. Listen, we're going to open these altars up this morning. While we're singing, if you feel led, you can just come get in one of these altars, make a fresh surrender of your life to intimacy with God. Lord, I've let, other, I've let other things take the place of just time alone with you. Listen to me, Christian. There is no substitute in the life of a believer for time alone daily with God. There's just no substitute. You're going to live a frustrated, defeated Christian life apart from intimacy with God. So the altars are open. You can come just get in one of these altars. Just cry out to God when we sing in just a moment. Or... Maybe you're here and you just want to pray with one of our pastors about something in your job, your health, your family, your marriage, whatever it is. We'd be honored to pray with you. And then finally, maybe you're here and you're sensing God stirring you to be that family, that individual that God calls out to go join Mark and Megan and our labor on the other side of the world. If, you, if you're sensing any conversation there you want to have, you just come to one of our pastors and we'll schedule a time to sit down and walk with you on discovering, is this God's will for you? Lord, speak as only you can in this moment. Holy Spirit, would you just govern this time? Move in convicting power and give us, Lord, the sensitivity to respond to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.